0: Is in connection with the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is Your Kingdom Come. And these are the famous kingdom parables that the Lord Jesus told, teachings about the kingdom of God. So we'll read Matthew 13, verses 24 through 52. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet "'I will open my mouth in parables. "'I will utter what has been hidden "'since the foundation of the world.' "'Then he left the crowds and went into the house. "'And his disciples came to him, saying, "'Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field.' "'He answered, "'The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. "'The field is the world, "'and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. "'The weeds are the sons of the evil one, "'and the enemy who sowed them is the devil.' The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So far, the reading of the word of God. As we reflect on what we read Sunday afternoon, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism as a summary of Christian doctrine. We find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 48, that's on page 561 of your books of praise. There the question is, what is the second petition? Your kingdom come, that is, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against you, and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. So far, the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, as you know, over the last weeks we've been studying the Lord's Prayer. And it's good to remember the reasons why, why we do this. Why do we unpack the Lord's Prayer and spend several weeks on it every year. And the reason we're doing this is because the Lord Jesus gave us this prayer and intended for the prayer to be a model, a teaching model for all of our prayers. So we're not just learning about what we say when we pray those words, we're learning how to pray whatever words we may use, the sort of prayer that is pleasing to God. Uh, So that's our goal, to, to understand the kinds of things that the Lord would have us pray concerning, uh, pray about. Uh, last week we looked at the first petition, which is "Hallowed be Your Name," and, and we saw that that petition is essentially a prayer that God would honor, esteem, or lift up His name. Uh, so that all nations everywhere throughout the world, we saw this is a global prayer, that all nations would come to know the glory of God and would praise Him and honor Him with the worship that, that He is due. Uh, and we saw that, th- that that is actually, that first petition is the heart of the entire Lord's Prayer. So we, we divided the prayer up in the second half. Uh, our individual needs, serves the purposes of the first half. And the, first, uh, the, the last five petitions all serve the purpose of the first one, which is to honor and esteem the name of God. So that's the heart of the Lord's Prayer. And we want to keep that in mind now when we look at the second petition. The second petition is, your kingdom come. And I would submit to you that this is probably the least understood of all of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. And that's surprising because the Kingdom of God was one of the greatest themes in the Lord Jesus' own teaching ministry. Uh, He spoke about the Kingdom more than anyone else in the Bible, uh, and and it comes up on virtually every chapter of His teachings. In fact, in, in Matthew 4 when it first introduces the teaching ministry of the Lord Jesus, it summarizes his whole ministry with one sentence, uh, where it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So central was the kingdom of God to the Lord Jesus' own teaching. So it should be something that we would uh, rightly understand, but it is often something that is not understood in in Christianity. Um, So that means we want to take the the time then to understand what did the Lord Jesus mean when He spoke about the kingdom of God, and especially what does He mean when He teaches us to pray for the coming of the kingdom of God. If you want a, a simple definition of the kingdom of God, you can say that it refers to the rule and reign of God over everything in His dominion. Uh, the rule and reign of God. Wherever God rules, there is His kingdom. Uh, so, And that's true whenever you're talking about any kingdom. Uh, you're talking about a domain or a territory over which a king rules. That's, that's what a kingdom is. Uh, so also with the kingdom of God. It is the domain over which God, through Christ, rules. So we can even think, uh, as we look back over history... We can think about the kingdom of God over history. Uh, When God created the world and placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, there was the kingdom of God. Where Adam and Eve lived, they were under the rule of God. Their hearts were true to God. And there then God ruled through Adam and Eve. There in the garden was the kingdom of God. But when Adam and Eve fell into sin they we're introduced to another kingdom. They're no longer serving, obeying, honoring the, the uh, honoring God, the true King. And, and there, this is this introduces what Scripture calls the kingdom of darkness. So we saw this also this morning uh, that, that we were brought from the kingdom of darkness back into the kingdom of God. So we have now these these two kingdoms. Uh, now of course you can you can take a step back and you can say well it's true in a sense that God still rules over the whole earth, God still remains sovereign, so in that respect, you may say he rules over everything, but as scripture looks uh, at a at a closer level, it says, Yes, but not all hearts are submissive to the Lord, and that's where we have the distinction between these two kingdoms. Though God rules over everything, in, in a very real sense, Satan rules over the hearts of those who do not love God. Uh, so, First uh, John 1, no, excuse me, First John 5, verse 19, the apostle John says, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There's your kingdom of darkness. Or Ephesians 2, verse 2, it talks about Satan as the Prince of the power of the air. This is a princely, a, a reigning uh, reality there. Um, in fact, also the verse that we looked at this morning in, in Colossians 1 verse 13. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. It is a real domain. Even though God rules over all things, there is a domain uh, under which you can say God does not rule because hearts are not being ruled by God. Uh, so, so there are these, these two kingdoms. And the kingdom of darkness, then, is the rule and reign of Satan. Just as the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God, kingdom of darkness is the rule and reign of Satan. And, and after we fell into sin, Satan had a legitimate claim over us. We belonged to him because he knew that God in his perfect justice could not receive us into his kingdom anymore. So Satan uses the justice of God against him, or you could say against us. He knows that as long as we are not covered with the blood of Christ, we belong to him. God cannot receive us. And so if we are in sin and not under Christ, we are under the rule and dominion of the devil. Now, you only need a glance through history, uh, even the history of the Old Testament, for example, uh, to get a glimpse of what that kingdom looks like, the kingdom of darkness. It's darkness, it's horror all the way through. You read of parents uh, burning their children as an offering to their gods. You read of murder, selfishness, rape, hatred, and, and every kind of perversion and evil. That's the kingdom of darkness. And the reality is we still see it in our own world. Uh, much of our world still today exists under the rule and dominion of Satan. Uh, there is darkness, brokenness, and hatred. Uh, and every now and then in certain times and places, that, that darkness uh, boils over, uh, so to speak, with particularly horrific events. You think of World War I and World War II or, or the killing fields of Rwanda. Uh, These particularly horrific events that show us the nature of the kingdom of darkness. What it looks like when hearts are ruled by evil. Uh, But this is the reality of our present world. There is the kingdom still of darkness. It's still there and there is now also the kingdom of Christ. Uh, And and God promised right from the beginning to bring that kingdom into being, to to bring his kingdom to earth. Already in Genesis 3, right after the fall into sin, uh, God promised Eve that one day one of her offspring would crush the head of Satan. It's a victory against the kingdom of darkness. Uh, Then, of course, God raised up Abraham, raised up the nation of Israel, and through them brought his kingdom forward. And, and especially when you get to the prophets, you really start to read about the kingdom of God and, and what it looks like. All of the, the prophets speak of it. Uh, Micah 4, for example, uh, says, It shall come to pass in the latter days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples will flow to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, and we may walk in His paths. There you see the rule and reign of God uh, over the hearts of human lives. Uh, over human hearts and and human lives. Uh, And the promise is that as the nations come, as they come to the house of the Lord to hear His word, uh, the kingdom of Satan, with all of its darkness and horror, will begin to crumble. It will break under the coming of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God will bring with it life, joy, uh, peace, also peace between nations. So we sang from Psalm seventy-two, which is the song of the Messiah, the song of the coming King, and and there's these uh, amazing prayers that may all nations submit to Him. May He deliver the poor and the needy. Uh, that His rule has resounding implications, and the promise is it will come to earth. Uh, there's a, a wonderful glimpse of this also in the vision of Nebuchadnezzar in in Daniel. Uh, well, yeah, in the early chapters of Daniel, um, Nebuchadnezzar was the emperor of Babylon, and he had this dream of this great statue of gold and silver and bronze and iron and clay. And he was troubled by this vision, and he called Daniel to, Daniel to come and explain it to him. And, and Daniel explained to him that this statue represents the, the present kingdoms of the world, present in, in that day, of course. Um, the, the kingdoms of that day. And, and then in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he saw this rock cut out of, of the mountain, with, cut out with no human hand, and it comes to the statue and becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, crushes the statue, and then becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. And Daniel explains that vision refers to the kingdom of God. It will come, it will shatter the kingdoms of this world, and it will fill the entire earth. Uh, so you see a, an interaction between the old kingdoms and and the new kingdom of of God. It will one day crush the kingdom of darkness, uh, which was very much embodied in those horrible empires of that day the cruelty, the malice, the evil that every one of those empires rome greece uh, persia and And Babylon uh, were horrible representations of the kingdom of darkness. And so Daniel sees in this, or Nebuchadnezzar sees in this vision, the kingdom of God destroying those old kingdoms. Well, that is the kingdom that the Lord Jesus also spoke about the rule and reign of God over human hearts that scripture teaches will one day overpower every other rule, authority, and dominion. It will bring to an end, one day, all war, cruelty, hatred, and every work of darkness. That is what the Lord Jesus is teaching us to pray for. It's also what the Heidelberg Catechism uh, explains. We are praying for Christ to destroy every power that raises itself against you, to build your church and then establish your reign Well, one thing we want to recognize then is that this petition that the Lord Jesus is teaching us to pray, your kingdom come, is not merely about some future reality which we hope will one day come to this earth. That is not what it's entirely about. And this is where this petition is most often misunderstood. People believe that when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying for the end of the world. We're praying that all things would come to an end and eternity, uh, perfection in eternity would begin. That's not what this prayer means. Uh, what scripture teaches us is rather that the kingdom of heaven has come in the, in the ascension and rule of Jesus Christ. Where he says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth. "...has been given to me. It's mine. I now am the king." And the task of his disciples is to, dis- is to gather and disciple all of the nations, teaching them, he says, to obey. It's the words of a king, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. What we are praying when we pray, your kingdom come, then is we are praying not just for God to hasten some future reality that will brush this old history off the table and start something new. We are praying for God to continue what has already begun 2,000 years ago, the growth of the church, the changing of human hearts, and and through those changed hearts, the dominion of Christ over all of human life. Uh, so so again, when we pray, Your kingdom come, we're not praying for something that only happens after Jesus returns. We are praying for something to happen before Jesus returns and up until the day that Jesus returns. Uh, we're praying for right now. We're praying for the, this very moment. Uh, for example, we are praying for God to establish His reign in our hearts for Him to begin ruling now over our hearts and the areas of our hearts and our lives that are not yet submitted to His rule. We're praying for that to happen right now. You see that also in the Heidelberg Catechism. We're praying in the first place, so rule us by Your Word and Spirit. Uh, we are praying for, for God to, to rule through the work of missionaries as the gospel is preached in hearts, are transformed through the gospel. And through that transformation, you can't have a transformed heart without also there being a transformed life. And that too, we pray for, that God would bring an end to the darkness and evil of this present world. To bring an end to slavery, for example, or abuse, or warfare. Uh, every evil that now exists in this world, we are praying that God would dissipate the darkness, bring an end to the evil through the spreading of the gospel, through the growth of the church. Uh, So, uh, let me say it this way. Uh, We believe, and through Scripture we we are clearly taught to expect that ever since the death of Christ, since Christ died, rose, and ascended, that Satan's power has been bound. Revelation 20, he is bound, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, ever since the day of Pentecost, has been and will continue to go out and transform this entire world. And and will do so more and more, bringing hearts into submission to Jesus Christ, until all the nations have been Discipled. Uh, And the knowledge of God, as we saw also this morning, covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's what this prayer is about. That's what the Lord Jesus teaches us also to expect. And we are praying for these things to happen prior to the return of Christ, up until the return of Christ, at which point all of his enemies will finally be vanquished. And that's clearly how the Catechism also interprets this petition. Again, what is the second petition, says the catechism? Your kingdom come that is so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. It begins right here at home. Second, preserve and increase your church. And third, destroy the works of the devil and every power that raises itself against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. And do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes where you shall be all in all. Uh, so, this is not a prayer for the world just to end quickly uh, and, and for Jesus to come back quickly uh, because this world is hopeless, it's a sinking ship. Lord Jesus, just get us off before this thing sinks. That's not what this prayer is about. On the, uh, very much on the contrary, it's a prayer for Christ to transform this world, to rescue this sinking ship, to prevent it from being destroyed. Uh, This is what we were taught to pray for. This is what the disciples were taught to work for. Again, go out, disciple all the nations. Teach them to obey. And this is what Christ promises He will accomplish. Uh, Matthew 16, He says, I will build My church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Uh, I've made this point before, but remember, gates are a defensive weapon. It is Christ's church that is advancing on the kingdom of darkness. Satan has barred the gates. And Jesus is saying, they're not going to withstand the, the battering ram of the gospel. It will crush the gates of Satan. Uh, they will crumble just as Nebuchadnezzar saw that statue crumble in, in his dream. So every time missionaries go out and proclaim the gospel, it's another whack of the battering ram against the gate's of Hades uh, every time god uses your own witness uh, with uh, to to open the hearts of friends or neighbors or colleagues to open their hearts to the gospel it's another wham of the battering ram uh, every time a, a man or a woman attends life renewal and sees their life uh, their life changed discovers the truth and the power of the gospel in their life it's another wham of the battering ram. And Jesus promises it will not, the gates will not withstand the beating. Uh, Every time a Christian mother raises a son or a daughter who loves and fears the Lord, it's another wham against the gates of Hades. And they will crumble. That's what Christ is doing right now as He sits on the throne of God, sending forth His Spirit to, to, to take what belongs to Him, to take control of His dominion. And that's what Christ is here teaching us to pray for. Uh, we pray that it would begin, uh, at, it has already begun, we pray that it would continue to happen even today, and would happen more and more every day until the day when Christ returns. Uh, so the idea is, is not, we're not taught to expect that this world is going to get worse and worse until the day that Christ returns. On the contrary, we're taught to expect the gospel will grow and expand, and the church will be established, and hearts and nations will ultimately be changed. Uh, so we, we, we are wrong if we assume that the church, as we often do assume, that the church is somehow the institution that's on the defense, and the world is coming at us with all of its, its onslaughts. Uh, Part of the reason for that misunderstanding are are things that Jesus taught the disciples to expect in the days of the fall of Jerusalem, you know, flee to the mountains of Judea, uh, those passages, uh, but those those are in reference to that day. It's a wrong understanding to think of the church age as if the church is somehow on the defense and the world is advancing against the church. Uh, The reality is, and history shows, Satan is losing his territory every decade that goes by. Christ is growing his church, transforming hearts, families, communities, and even entire nations. Now I recognize that that's something we believe by faith, not always by sight. Uh, when we look at the culture in which we live in, there's no question that our culture is hard on the road of apostasy. Uh, it's hard to hold out any hope for this culture, and we 're not taught to expect that every culture will uh, will be changed, some will be destroyed, and, and the kingdom of God will come in after those countries are are removed, uh, though you never know God still may do a mighty work even in our day in Canada. You can never say that God cannot turn this country around uh, but whether or not this country will experience that repentance if it does the kingdom of god will be established in and by that repentance if it doesn't this country will be vanquished and and christ will establish a better one a different one in its place uh, the gospel uh, and, and if that happens that is not we should not take that as immediately a sign of the end times if some foreign nation invades our country We should not throw up our hands and say, well, now the end times have come. Uh, It may be far yet from the end times. The gospel has not yet filled the whole world. Uh, There there is much growing yet to do as the gospel goes out to the nations. The church is still exploding through the South, uh, through through South America, through the East, through Africa. And, And if God should then cause our nation to crumble or to be invaded, we may trust by faith, that God will establish something better in His place. He will use, even if it's an evil army from Russia or China, He will use what is evil to establish good. God has done it many times in history. We read earlier from Matthew 13, and and this chapter is famous for, for the chapter of the kingdom parables. There's seven seven parables that the Lord Jesus tells to describe the kingdom of God. And and in each one, he begins with the words, The kingdom of heaven is like such and such. Um, uh, So he he uses these to teach different truths, different characteristics of the kingdom of God. Uh, In the parable of the sower... For example, Jesus taught that the, the kingdom of God comes into existence when the word is preached, when the gospel is, is sowed into the soil, um, and, and particularly into good soil. It will be sowed into hard, hard hearts, and they will not respond. But the kingdom will grow as it's sowed into good soil, uh, hearts that have been prepared by the Spirit to receive the word. I want to focus on on the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. They're very short parables and and often um, forgotten. But there Jesus teaches us something about the growth of the kingdom, which speaks to this prayer, your kingdom come. And and he describes what that growth will look like. Uh, In the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus is teaching us about the size of, and the significance of the kingdom of God. Uh, So he says, this is uh, verse 31, chapter 13, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now what Jesus is teaching here concerning the kingdom of God I remember, that's the reign and rule over human hearts, is that though it would begin very, very small and insignificant, 12 disciples plus a, a few dozen others in Jerusalem, uh, though it would begin small, as in the days of the early church, it would grow to a point that it is larger than all the other plants of, of uh, uh than, than all the other plants around. Which is to say, larger, more powerful, more significant than any other kingdom, any other religion in the world. Such that, he says, the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And I take those birds to refer to to the nations of the world, finding rest and peace under the, the rule of God. It's, uh, it's very much the same language as... Uh, In Ezekiel, as in Revelation 22 also, where it says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Uh, So it's a view of the the transformation of the world where the kingdom of God that starts small becomes more significant than any other kingdom. Then Jesus also gives the parable of the leaven. Now it's fundamentally about the same thing, the growth of the kingdom. But it teaches a, a slightly different aspect. Uh, of that growth. It shows us that when the kingdom of God comes to this world and grows in this world, it doesn't grow separately from everything else that happens in the world. Like it's just some alternate kingdom. What the parable of the leaven teaches us uh, is, is that the kingdom of God comes and transforms the nations of this world. Uh, So again, the parable goes, a woman takes a small amount of leaven, mixes it into three measures of flour, and in time, that small amount of leaven changes, leavens, transforms the entire lump. She's saying, this is what the kingdom of God, the growth, will look like. The parable of mustard seed says it will be massive. The parable of the leaven says it may be subtle as it comes out. It transforms progressively uh, the entire world. It will not only grow, but it will transform this world. Hearts will change, cultures will change, laws will change, governments will change in response to the gospel. That's the, the teaching of that parable. And that is what we are praying when we pray your kingdom come, that it may come as it has been into this world, not only to be the most significant kingdom in this world, but to transform every other kingdom, every other nation, and every human heart. Now there are certainly other parables that do give us uh, reason for caution in in how we state this this doctrine. Uh, even though that Jesus does teach us that, to expect that the kingdom of, of heaven will fill the whole earth uh, and, and make and provide safety and refuge for the nations, at the same time, that does not mean that every individual in the world will one day be Christian. He he clearly indicates that the parable of the weeds, for example, that reminds us that there will be unbelievers and hypocrites mixed into the kingdom of God. Though the rule of God will change the world Yet that does not mean that every individual will, will become a Christian. There are, there are some who call themselves post-millennialists that believe that the whole world will, will one day be Christian. Um, and that is not what Jesus seems to be teaching. There, there, there are weeds mixed among the tares. Uh, is that the right word? There are weeds mixed among the wheat. Uh, and, and the promise is that they will be removed on the final day. Uh, so we're not, expect to, we're not taught to expect a perfect world prior to the return of Christ, but a transformed, a changed world we are. Uh, Christ teaches us to pray for it, to work for it, and to hope for a transformed world. And he promises he will keep on building his church until the day that he returns. So the kingdom of God is, is, is an already and not yet sort of reality. It's already broken into this world. Already Satan is bound. Already he will not withstand the preaching of the gospel. The church will grow. The word will go out. The world will be changed. And it's already here to some extent. But it is not yet here fully. Uh, There's still growth that needs to happen. Uh, There are still horrible, terrible, dark places in this world, where the gospel has not yet broken through, where Satan still has a grip on the hearts of uh, not just individuals, but even entire communities, and, and in some cases, entire nations. Uh, such places exist, and also here, such pockets of darkness exist here, even in our own culture. And, and there's your macro scale we talked about this morning, and it's true on the micro scale as well, even within our own hearts the darkness is not yet fully dispelled uh, there's still sin that needs to be dealt with here in our own hearts uh, that uh, there are areas that we still need to bow before the reign and rule of Christ so there's there's a frontier on the macro scale there's a frontier on the micro scale uh, so the catechism reminds us of uh, the ways in which we uh, the, the things that we are praying for When we pray your kingdom come. And it reminds us that that begins with ourselves. Right here on on the the micro scale. So rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we, in the first place, would submit to you. Uh, Notice um, it speaks of ruling us by your word and spirit. and, And those are the instruments of the kingdom. That's how the kingdom grows. Just as foreign, uh, uh, the kingdoms of this earth grow with the power of of sword or, or gun or tank or or whatever it may be, the kingdom of heaven grows with the weapons of the the, the word and the spirit, um, and you see this all through the New Testament. Acts four, for example. Uh, When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. As there's your your spirit and word. Or Acts 10, verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. There again, the church, the kingdom grows through the word and the spirit. Or Ephesians 1, verse 13. In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Word and Spirit. When when we pray then, your kingdom come, we're praying in the first place that Christ would take His word and His Spirit and, and bring them to bear upon our own hearts in such a way that the darkness that is still here within us would be fully dispelled. Uh, we're praying that Christ would use the same tools, the same tools that He used to convert us in the first place, and he, that He would use those same tools to grow us as Christians and to mature us so that our whole hearts submit to Him. We're also praying, in the second place then, that He would use those same instruments to transform the entire world, to grow His church everywhere as missionaries go out and preach the Word and as the, Lord, uh, as the Spirit blesses that preaching, opens hearts to hear it and changes lives. And, and of course, if, then if one implication of this is if we're praying this petition earnestly and seriously, we will also, of course, be busy with the Word and leaning on the Spirit. Uh, that's an implication of, of, of praying this very petition So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying first that God would begin the work in us, but then also that as a result, in our homes, uh, in our church, in our communities, the gospel would take hold and grow. And and when that happens, God uses us, instruments of his kingdom, to bring his kingdom further. And and often one of the ways that God does this is through the sacrifice and the suffering of, of his people. Uh, This this optimistic, if you want to call it that, this optimistic view of the growth of the kingdom in no way negates the reality of sacrifice and suffering of of God's people. The kingdom grows as we bear our cross. Uh, That is, that God uses that affliction to further his kingdom. And so when we pray your kingdom come, it's also our prayer that God would take the afflictions, the circumstances, the the brokenness that may exist in our lives and use them to serve the building of His church and His kingdom to further the ultimate cause of His honor and glory. Uh, This is why this, this prayer can be so liberating to pray. One of the reasons I believe the Lord taught us to pray this because we may take our minds off of our immediate needs, which we tend to pray for the most, the last three petitions. We may pause and we may first say, Lord, build your kingdom. And that gives us a perspective to look at the afflictions and sufferings that exist in our lives. Lord, use these afflictions to further your kingdom. Uh, so that we can, we can see our lives and also our suffering as tools that Christ uses in his kingdom-building work. Uh, so when, when we pray, we recognize this begins with ourselves, that Christ would break the darkness in our own lives. But we are also praying for the growth of the church everywhere. Uh, there's no kingdom of God apart from the church. Uh, the kingdom of God, uh, a good analogy for this, is, is, is a wheel. There's the, the spokes and the, the rim of the wheel, which the whole wheel is the kingdom of God. It includes uh, things like homes, schools, old age facilities, business, governments, that all are meant to submit to the rule of Christ. But the hub of that wheel is the church. There's no kingdom without the church. The kingdom never exists apart from the church. Uh, The kingdom of God extends out from the church but it is always grounded there in in the church. Uh, So when we pray this prayer, we're certainly also praying that Christ would build his church, that he'd bless missionaries as they go and bring his word to the nations, that he would bless also our own works of evangelism right here in our own community and build his church here. And finally, the Catechism also reminds us this is a prayer for the destruction, the utter destruction of all the works of darkness. Again, destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against you, and every conspiracy against your holy word. So we're praying that wherever Satan rules, his dominion over human hearts, homes, businesses, cultures, and governments, where he establishes evil, abuse, malice, cruelty, and godlessness, that that would be broken and utterly vanquished. We're praying that every evil institution would crumble. Just as uh, Christians a century ago prayed for the abolition of uh, of the slave trade, so we recognize such evil institutions exist also in our day. And when we pray, Your kingdom come, we are praying, God, destroy those evil institutions once and for all. Wherever homes exist that evil reigns, may they be taken from Satan or otherwise destroyed. Uh, where schools and, uh, where there are schools where darkness and deception and evil and perversion is taught, may they be converted or otherwise closed. Where there are businesses that cheat, steal, and lie, may they be transformed or otherwise go bankrupt. Where there are governments that do not honor God or who call evil good or good evil, may they be changed by the gospel or otherwise crushed. Uh, When we pray, your kingdom come, we recognize that Canada as a nation, as a government, must submit to the rule and reign of Christ or else it will also perish. And that's what we're praying for. May it change or otherwise crumble. Uh, Our highest allegiance is not to this country. It is to the the kingdom of heaven, of which we have been made citizens. And we know that as the kingdom of darkness crumbles, Satan will grow all the more violent. Again, this is not some uh, rose-colored view of the future. Satan wages war all the more violently as he feels his territory being lost. Uh, Even though he's powerless, To stop it, he will do everything he can, nonetheless, to hold on to his reign. Uh, And we recognize that Satan and his demons are powerful forces that we do stand against. Uh, The coming in of Christ's kingdom is not some smooth, gentle, happy transition. Uh, We we recognize we are called to violent frontiers. Again, on, on the macro scale, as, as we send out missionaries to, to dark places in this world, and on the micro scale, as we stand on the frontiers of our own hearts, and we recognize there's war to be fought right here, and as Satan loses that ground, he will fight all the more violently. Uh, so we very much need the help and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Uh, again, Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's where the opposition will come from. So, if we're taking this petition seriously, we're also recognizing how desperately we need the Spirit's help as we pray that God would rule more and more over our hearts. It will ble- it will be a bloody war. It will Satan will not let go gently. Uh, so every time we pray this prayer, we are praying that Christ would fill us with a powerful measure of his holy spirit to fight against forces that would otherwise be far too strong for us to beat. Uh, and we see that violent resistant coming resistance coming to the surface all over the world. Think of the seeds of heresy that Satan still plants within the church, or, or the degeneration of our culture, again, even here in Canada, or the persecution. Of our Christian brothers and sisters in China, in North Korea, in Somalia, in many other nations of this world, as they are on the frontiers, sharing the gospel of Christ and meeting that fierce, violent resistance. Uh, their blood, as Paul says in Romans 8, is being poured out like water. And in many cases, that, that, that is literally the case. Uh, victory is a strange thing in Christ's kingdom. Often the greatest victories come when we feel like we're at ultimate defeat. As we're taking up our cross, following Christ, enduring much affliction, feeling defeated, there's where Christ accomplishes his victories. And the prime example of that is it not Christ himself on the cross. When Satan thought he had won, that was where Christ scored his greatest victory. Uh, that's our calling as we follow Christ as well. As the church father Tertullian declared, the the blood of the martyrs is seed for the church. As we go forward, uh, though we rest in the promise that Christ will win, that the gates of Hades will not overcome, we we also recognize it will be a violent battle along the way. So brothers and sisters, do pray this prayer. Don't leave this one out of your prayers. Uh, Remember the Lord Jesus taught it to us for our good, that we may be a part of His most glorious work. Uh, Pray it every day, and pray that Christ's kingdom would come to a world that so desperately needs the kingdom of Christ and the coming of the church. Uh, That the darkness that you see in your own family, in your own life, and, and certainly in this country, and all the more as we look around to this world, that that darkness would be utterly dispersed. The gospel of Christ would go forward. The church would be built, beginning here at home and out into the entire world as Christ has promised. I pray that that it would happen until the day that He returns. Amen.